0: Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Virgo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me once again is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. What's been going on?
1: You're watching a bit of retro footy. I was watching retro footy. Uh, it was good to see some of the players of yesteryear playing their trade. Really interesting watching some of the tactics they were using, the way they played the game. Um, and yeah, I didn't realise they played games that from that far back, so um, that was pretty cool to see. That I'll have to keep an eye out for that.
0: Absolutely. Now this week we've seen the NRL reveal the nominations for the Hall of Fame. Uh, so we're gonna have a look at all of those and wouldn't say argue, but discuss, I guess, who should probably get picked out of that lot. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, first of all, we'll go through the the criteria as to how someone gets picked to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, so... um, The 100 greatest players that were selected in 2008 were automatically included. Yeah. Six new players were inducted in 2018. The... Criteria is players must be retired for at least five years. Mm -hmm. Um, A minimum of two and a maximum of four players are to be inducted every year from 2019. Uh, Coaches, referees and contributors will be considered from this year. A minimum Mm -hmm. of one coach and or referee and a maximum of two will be inducted once every four years. And a minimum of one contributor and a maximum of three will be inducted once every two years.
1: Wow. Uh, once again, reach for the abacus.
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm, I'm happy for them to be constantly adding to the Hall of Fame and things like this, but I think yeah. these figures have, they've got there in place are excessive. Like, if they so, want to have players being added to the Hall of Fame every year, make
1: it one, maybe two, not four. Or even open up the Hall of Fame every five years for new inductions, something like that. I think that would be a better idea than having it every single year. And basically, I mean, you you create a rod for your own back having to select somebody. Like, that's not how the Hall of Fame should be, you know, put together where you have to select someone. That's not what it's supposed to be about. That's exactly right. Um,
0: I don't mind... Coaches and referees being included in the Hall of fame um there has not been very many of those, so i wouldn't be i don't think it's wise to be adding a heap of those every every year either maybe yeah maybe one every five years or so or two every five years would be more than enough
1: yeah, I agree i mean it like from the whole history of Australian rugby league and we're just talking about that at the moment um If I said, list the 20 most significant coaches in the history of the game, you'd start to have to really think towards the end of that list. And, you know, they're going to fill that up eventually. And it's not going to be too long from now that they are going to fill that up. And, you know, at what point do you start looking at, you know, you start making excuses like, well, you know, he didn't win a premiership, but he was a pretty good coach still, and That, to me, is where you run into problems. Where is it a Hall of Fame or does everyone get a gong?
0: Exactly. And when you consider that Justin Holbrook will become the 297th coach in the game's history, there's not many there to pick from. You can't be picking one every year. Exactly, exactly. Um, Referees are similar. There's there's not a huge amount of those. Probably, Probably the same number as coaches.
1: And yeah, best. I mean, yeah, it's like, and, you know, what a referee's job is to to obviously control the game to a certain extent. So if they're all doing the, their job, like how do you become a Hall of Fame referee as opposed to just a, a, a normal referee that's not in the Hall of Fame that also just did their job? Like, do you, do, does that make sense? Yeah, look, I think...
0: In the past, especially the early days, some of the referees would, and I'm talking at the very start of the game, mm. they they had more than one role. So um, Ted Hooper, who I wrote about ages ago, he became a manager for the New South Wales side. He took them to their first ever game in Melbourne. He took them on a tour to New Zealand. That's the sort of thing that those blokes did. And yeah. so they became board members as well of the New South Wales Rugby League. So they took on a lot more duties than just being a ref in the middle. So I've got no issue with players like, with, code, you know, refs like that being added, mm-hmm, but, yep. but, you know, when you consider that in, say, two, three years' time,
1: the most capped referee in the game's history will be Ben Cummins. Yeah. And and, and it's nothing against Ben Cummins. He does no. the job, and he does it really well. But, like, and and that's the thing. Like, let's look at Holly, Hollywood, right, be, uh, Bill Harrigan. Mm-hmm. Oh, you could have said Hartley too, but let's look at Bill Harrigan. What would and he would be one of the ones that would be coming up pretty quickly if we're going to start introducing referees to a Hall of Fame. But what makes him a Hall of Fame referee? Is it that he had a high profile? Is it that he made some big decisions in grand finals? At some were right, wrong, some wrong. Yeah, you know. And what a makes nine- how do you say that? Um, it was against the spirit of the game. Get over it. Um, it's the only penalty in the game's history against the spirit of the game. You <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just didn't like how it looked. Um, yeah, and so what makes him a Hall of Famer over you know somebody else? It's very, very subjective. And I agree with you that you go back to the early days of the game's history. Some of the referees were doing just and it's a lot of it's be it's like oh yeah and they were also a referee you know mm-hmm. you could almost say they were more a contributor to the to the game than the actual refereeing and and just calling them a referee was kind of doing them a disservice and and that's where like what are you looking for in a referee because we all say it uh, the best referees you don't notice them yeah
0: so. Uh... That that's a tricky one. So um it, it is excessive having that many wanted to be put forward. Yeah. Um see so yeah, that's the criteria. So let's uh let's get into the first part here. It's, uh, it's administrators. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm gonna pick two out of this list anyway. It was, you, know, you can see you come up with. So the nominees are um James Giltman, Ted Larkin, Jersey Flegg, Harry Sunderland, Bill Buckley, Ken Atherton, John Quayle, Ron McAuliffe, Paul Broughton, Frank Johnson, and Ross Livermore. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, I'd be picking um, Edward Larkin. He was the first full-time secretary. Um, He pulled the game out of the absolute pits of misery that it it sunk into just after one season. Um, Was involved in the Wallaby coup to to pretty much buy the Wallabies, which... Helps prop the game up and make it, um, I suppose, competitive with rugby union and shortly after, more dominant than the game. Um, He got rugby league into Catholic schools in 1910. Mm -hmm. And he's even talking about taking the game of rugby league to America in 1910. So He's quite a visionary as well. Um, I've written extensively about him. He's a phenomenal human. Uh, the uh, One of two sitting politicians Who died in war He died at Gallipoli on the day of landings there In 1915 um, Yeah, he was, that, that's the sort of person he was He lived from the front And if he said that he wanted people to do something It would be something that he would do himself Yeah um, And the other one would be Which might surprise if you given that I'm a historian Especially from the, the birth of the game I'm not going with Gildedon, I'm going to go with Harry Sunderland because Ah. of what he did to help Queensland Rugby League and then essentially help get Rugby League started in France. Mm -hmm. Um, He was also a journalist as well, so he can cover that one. But, uh, yeah, brilliant administrator and always, he was divisive, but he was also um, quite a visionary. So I'd, I'd, I'd nominate those two myself. How about you?
1: I would have gone, probably from this list, I would have gone Giltonen for sure. Um, Such a big uh, person in terms of starting up the game of rugby league and was kind of the, um, almost, and we talked about this, uh, when did we talk about this? This might have been in the first episode or so actually. Rugby league was a, a sport for entrepreneurs and he really seemed to be the driving force in that sense when it was starting up. Um so I would have selected him, and then you know betwe- it would be hard to split um you know flag and sunderland i think it's it very very difficult i don't i i only know about Larkin from what you've told me, and look mm-hmm. okay, it's hard to go past him when you when you hear his story, but um not wanting to just agree with you the whole time because it'll make a boring podcast. Like when I would first look at this list, um, I, it would be, yeah, maybe Sunderland, I'd probably lean towards um, him and him and Gilton. And...
0: Yeah, I think it's, you'd be hard pressed to go against someone given that he did, he wasn't just in, you know, work in Australia. He did a great, great amount of
1: work over in England, too. Yeah. Yeah. So... And uh, look, the thing is, and about these, like, I think if you put the four of them in, you know, Larkin, Gilton, um, Flegg and Sunderland, you could probably close this, close the shop for, you know, another 10 years, not have to add another administrator, because they're all pretty important in the formation of the game very early on and setting up a lot of the things we take for granted now too. Exactly. Um, so moving on to the, um, the next lot is
0: the... Media nominees. Mm. Um, there's a few in here I agree with, but for the most part, I'm not. I'm not overly keen on this uh, concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got Claude Corbett, uh, Peter Falingos, Ian Heads, Laurie Kearney, Gary Lester, Roy Masters, John O'Grady, Jeff Printer, and Jack Ridden. Now, Jack Ridden was a um, A very, very good player for the Roosters back in... Well, the Tricolors then, back in the 30s. Mm -hmm. He became a journo. John O'Greedy, I believe, is the man who took the photo of the Gladiators, which is now the trophy. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Roy Masters was a coach, became a very good journo. Still is a good journo. Gary Lester, another good journo. Ian Heads. If I've got to pick anyone out of the list, I'm picking Ian Heads. Because he was... For me, he's the first genuine historian who started writing books about all matters of rugby league in in the past and yeah i' got I've got a soft spot for anyone to do that because especially being the first to do that
1: um that's pretty bold so I'm, I'm, yeah and if you've got any books on rugby league chances are he he wrote it <laughs> you know there's exactly. not I mean, too many you know, yeah, two of his most prominent ones, which if you want to learn about
0: the history of the game that you need to get, is The Kangaroos, where he's um, gone through every kangaroo tour from 1908 to 1986. And the other one is True Blue, The History of the New South Wales Rugby League. Mm -hmm. Brilliant books. So um, your thoughts on this one?
1: I would not have any members of the media involved in this at all. I think that the Rugby League Hall of Fame is for people within the game and the media are not people within the game you know if you want to if some of these people are former players who you can build this uh, a fantastic resume together for and they just also happen to be journalists fair enough but i think that journalists are outsiders looking in they don't contribute to the game and I don't believe they should be part of the hall the Rugby League Hall of Fame. I think it's an absolutely ridiculous idea, and it, it to be honest, it disgusts me
0: well, given they're calling it contributors and they're trying to avoid calling them journalists, you know, a journalist award mm-hmm. It does open itself up in the future with the digital age of League Freak being nominated in about twenty years time
1: and obviously. Like, I mean, 20 years' time should be, you know. Well,
0: we're we're assuming that the the five-year retirement rule is in place.
1: Oh, okay, okay, yeah.
0: I'm assuming that
1: after 15 years, you'll have had enough of this. I'll put my feet (laughs) up. Yeah, we'll probably, like, I mean, if you go just by current projections in in 15 years from now, we'll kind of both be sitting around in a casino on, you know, Monaco flicking $1,000 chips at somebody to bring us another drink and just saying, ah, yeah, it's probably time to give it up, eh? (laughs) And, uh, yeah, then five years after that, that's a very good point. Um, Look, who contributes more to rugby league, a journalist or somebody that goes and, you know, contributes in terms of junior rugby league on the weekends? You know, that washes jerseys for, for a kid's team or even marks out the field or makes sure that the you know the oranges are cut for them and stuff like that. That's a contributor to rugby league. And journalists and media personalities, they do not contribute. They they're outsiders. And if they want, you know, any sort of um, payback for what they contribute, that's what the money's for. They get paid. You know, I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. And there'll be plenty of people that will come up with different sort of um, arguments to say, well, this person, that person, I will never, ever budge on this. Uh, It will. I just think it's a disgusting idea that the media is getting any credit for, for anything within the game. I think that any of the media types that go up and get some of this award should be embarrassed Nice. Yeah, I, I really do. I really feel strongly about it. They're oh, outsiders, Andrew. I
0: was going to say, given that you were talking about the volunteers who do work at ground yeah. level, yep. would that include record keepers and historians by any chance?
1: Well, of course it would. And oh, good, only good. the ones that keep accurate records, you know. Yeah. So we're ruling out, you know, com here. Um, so, yeah, I, look... All right, well Contri- you could you could make a I I I would you could make a really good argument for somebody that that does keep the games records and that that r- gathers the games history together, right? And look, I'm thinking of someone like Ian Heads right now.
0: Well that, if, that's if the you, reason why I selected him because he's taken the time to because that's the thing, okay, with, with a lot of these historians, while they'll report the good and the bad, it's part of what you do. Most of the time you're you're recording about, you know, what happened in the game because you want to record something about how great it was. Yeah. And you you generally are talking it up. Even if you do have to talk about some of the negative stuff that happened. Um and it takes a great passion for the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: To, to to delve into that sort of stuff, where a lot of the times there's no sources available other than what might be written somewhere. Yeah, and even that, even in those cases, there may not even be stuff written, as I've found with a few players I've been trying to find information on. Um, so it makes it makes the researching there so much harder, so much more time consuming, and a lot of the times it's either unpaid or un- under appreciated. So, mm. um, in heads. Uh, for me, is uh, streets ahead of everybody else in that list by a
1: long way. Yeah, and you know what? To me, he is too, right? And and he's the only person I've talked about in the whole list because the rest of them I just know. Um, and in that case, right, if you've got someone like that, because, it, the you know, the people that write about the game's history are the only people that are putting this together. The game itself doesn't put this stuff together. And it's well overdue for the rugby league administration to bring people like Ian Heads, like yourself, and other rugby league historians into the fold and get them being actual contributors to the game and being part of of rugby league rather than an outsider because – you know, if you leave it up to rugby league, rugby league just moves on. You know, rugby league doesn't really care too much about its own history. And it's up to people that are rugby league historians to do that work. To, and it's, I know that it's not easy and that, you know, you go down all sorts of rabbit holes and stuff and, and you've got to find things that, you, you know, you're looking for things that sometimes you don't even know exist until you find them. Um. You know, I would like to see the game really value its history way more than it does. Um, you know, and historians are a very important part of that. But I would much rather it be about a contribution to the game's history and gathering the game's history rather than having journalists and media types. No, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. I'm, I'm okay. not
1: I would, I'm not, I would I'm not say... keen on having
0: outright journos there. I don't, I don't no. think that's right. But, yeah, people who have contributed to recording the game's past and its history and all of stuff. Um, I've got a lot of respect for them because I know what they have to go through just for whatever work they do. Yeah. And it takes dedication and a passion for the game to do that, whereas a journo can write any old crap today and move on. And they're basically going to get nominated based just on longevity. And that's easy to do in the
1: rugby league media world. Yeah, definitely, and the other thing is too, if you put, and eventually, if if you're saying all of these people, and are worthy of nomination, over time, if they've got to add somebody into the the Hall of Fame, all of these people yeah. are going to end up in the Hall of Fame, right? Who's next? Who's next? You That's know, right. at what point do you start? At what point do you look at this list and Paul Crawley's on it? And you know what? It's and it's it sounds like a joke, but if down the track, this is what you're looking at. It's exactly right. And it's te- it's just uh, that's why I find it disgusting because yeah. you know I can look through this list and be like, well, yeah, he, he called the game, great. You know, it's like, what is that? What are you nominating them alongside players for? It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: No, I'll get your point of there, mate. So the next one there might be a little bit I don't know, iffy on that one, is um commentators. Yeah. And it's their job to call you know, call the game, I guess, and you can't do that if you don't enjoy it either. Um so the nominated Frank Hyde, George Lovejoy, David Morrow, Rex Mossop, and Ray Warren. Um, I've gone with Frank Hyde. One person who I'm surprised isn't nominated. Was, um was uh, Ernie Black, whose nickname was Tiger. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first radio commentators to call the game in Australia. I'm surprised right. he isn't listed. When, but, when um, was
1: he from? What era was he from? Twenties, uh, I believe. Wow. Well, I would love to hear his calling of the game, eh? I've
0: got a feeling. I'm going off memory here, so I could very well be wrong that he called the 1924 final between Balmain and South. Wow. Yeah. I haven't got it written down anywhere, so I'm, I'm purely going off memory there, but I think he may have called that on radio. It might have been the first final that was called on radio. hmm If anyone knows any differently, um, feel free to correct me. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was around there. So I, was, I thought he might have got picked for that.
1: See, I, if I had to, I would go Frank Hyde, um, yeah, well, I'm but, picking Frank Hart as well. Yeah, and and uh, but it would be as part of... It would be also as part of his playing career. Like, it would be not so much picking him as a broadcaster. It would be like, you know, he, he had a, a very good playing career and he just so happened to be a commentator as well. You know, yeah. it, that's that's the way I would look at it. And I think there is a place... And it's kind of like what we we're talking about with the referees earlier. It's like if you just called him a, a a broadcaster, you'd be doing him a disservice because of all of the other stuff that he did. Exactly. So, and like uh, because personally, I would not have any broadcasters in there either. I I
0: don't mind the commentators so much, um, but really the only ones I can think of there are the ones who added. To the game to to you know sort of ramp it up and make it more exciting stuff like that. I'm I'm I know doesn't sound like much, but I don't mind people who have dedicated their lives to doing that. I know they've been paid for it. Um, but the only players, only commentators I can think of who should be on that list alongside Frank Hyde for the sheer volume that they do and the sheer success of it would be Ray Warren,
1: Andrew Voss. That'd be about it. Well, here's the thing, right? Just say it's about if you look at it as just a, a commentator and contributing to the game, and maybe bringing it to a different audience or whatever. The first cab off the rank has to be Daryl Eastlake, doesn't it? Because of he'd, his origin calls, he'd, he'd definitely be up there. Don't the think. Yeah, see, the reason
0: why I'm I'm huge on Andrew Voss though is. Um, he or he talks about the game With absolute love for the game And if anyone's seen his show The Fan he talks about the history of the game He's a genuine student of the game And to me He almost falls into the same category As Ian Heads where he actually takes the time To learn about the game I, I can respect that He researches everything he does very very meticulously um, And He goes to the effort to make shows To you know explain this stuff from the past and promote it and talk about it in a positive light um, he's bringing the history of the game to everybody and I really really like that he does that it's another thing I think deserves a lot of recognition for him for that um, which no one before him has ever done and it's that little bit extra that he does there that I think means that he, sh- he deserves to be mentioned in this list of commentators but he isn't You've got people like George Lovejoy, who's a huge com- you know, commentator up in Brisbane. And I'm pretty sure he was the guy who coined the phrase, Rugby League was the greatest game of all. Um, but most people in Sydney may not have heard of him. Um, David Murray had a long career on the ABC. Rex Mossop. Um, he's pretty famous for what happened in the 70s and 80s as a commentator. He was fairly abrasive, though, I guess you could say
1: don't like people who are abrasive, hey. I'm just kidding. That's, that's my not, thing. <laughs> that's, not, that's not who we are.
0: <laughs> but there we go. All right, so we'll get on to the important part now, and that's the, the Hall, of, Hall of Fame player shortlist. So we've got the final 25 yes. players here. Now, yes. for me, the historian, it's a little bit of a disappointing field because every single player here is from post 1950. It's almost like they've decided, right?
1: That's it. We are not looking at anyone pre World War Two ever again. That's it. We're done. And Which is very strange. I don't understand that mindset. Hey, they've just cut off forty-two years of rugby league history. Just bang. We've done that. We've done that. We're moving on. And maybe not for debate anymore. The, like what you could definitely call a golden era in the game's history. Just gone. Yeah. All gone We're not looking at that anymore um,
0: Which I find Quite disappointing Because mm. um, for me There's there's still a few players there That could go on the list Like uh, one is uh, A Brisbane winger Cecil Ainsley um, mm. He's a massive try scoring freak He played in Brisbane They never played in Sydney Yeah So He's never really going to get Recognised for that But for me, he deserves to be on this list as much as anybody else does. So it, it disappoints me that there's, they've just shut that off so quickly. And even yeah. then, the players that they've got from 1950 to 1970 are very few on this list as well. It's pretty much 1980s onwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, you and me have watched the vast majority of these players. Like, there's only a, a few here that we wouldn't have seen play. Yeah. And so, out of
0: 119 years, or one hundred and ten years, whatever, one hundred and ten years of competition, we're now drawing Hall of Famers from basically the last thirty now.
1: Yeah. So, should we? A, do you reckon we should a... go through the list of nominees, and then talk about like how many we can select from this list for the Hall of Fame? Um, yeah, and go from there. Talk about the Hall of Fame a little bit more in general.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll, I'll go through the, the players and um, we'll pick out four each who mm. we think should should go ahead and be in the Hall of Fame. So they put them by position here, so they've got a fullback, Eric Sims, Gary Belcher, Gary Jack, on the wing, Dennis Flannery, Ian Moyer, Michael Hancock, centers, Steve Renoff, Michael O'Connor, five-eighths, Kevin Walters, halfback, Jeff Tuvey, Stacey Jones, Greg Alexander, at lock, Les Cowie, Bob Lidner, Second row, Dick Thornette, Terry Randall, Rod Reddy, Paul Vorden, Paul Syren and Craig Fitzgibbon. Prop, Craig Young, Ruben Wiki, Paul Harrigan, and hooker, Erwin Walters and Danny Bediris.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, that's when we talk about these players, you've got to remember we're talking about them in terms of the elite players that have ever played the game in Australia. So we're not saying these players are bad players when we say anything bad about them, all right?
0: what we're trying to do is pick the the cream from the crop here because, I mean, they've all played test footy. Mm. They are all fantastic players. That's not up for debate here. We're trying to pick out which ones out of this lot are more deserving of being in the Hall of
1: Fame than the others, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, And and the, the thing I look at too is you want to pick players that in 50 years' time They're relevant to somebody who, in fifty years' time, is looking at the game's history, and they want to see the standout players. And so, you're trying to show that person in fifty years from now who the standout players on on a on a plus a century plus timeline are. Yeah. So for me,
0: the first and obvious chip pick for me out of this is the only player of those twenty five who won the Golden Boot back when it was a prestigious and accurately awarded title, and that was Gary Jack. For me, he has to be in there. Um, I think he's top of the tree. Next, I've got Ian Moyer. Um, lightning fast, you know, excitingly fast winger. He, um, I just think that... Uh, he was massively underrated, especially as, as time's gone on. What what he able to achieve there? Because I think everyone just looked at Ken Irvine instead and it kind of dwarfed everyone, but Ian Moy was no slouch. Um, Kevin Walters, what's he got, six premierships? That's hard to ignore.
1: Yeah, especially, and I was, I was six, thinking that Especially too. six premierships in the salary cap era. And you over know. a long period of time too. Yeah. Like um, it it wasn't like he, he was just in one team that had a really good run. Like it's it's a very long time between his first and last one. Yeah. So
0: that that's something that needs to be looked at. Uh and the last one I have is Ruben Wicky. Yep. Um I found it hard to consider I think the only other one I was I was debating over was Steve Renoff. Because mm-hmm. for me, he was he was something different compared to everybody else when he came on the field, and he was he was exciting. You just got the feeling too, especially when there's a little bit of broken field play. Even though Brisbane were inside their own half, that he was the chance of scoring a try, even though he was 80 metres away, because he just did it so often. And I think yeah, and I mean that sort of freakish ability is something that makes makes one player stand out from the people around him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, how long was he? could you consider him the top centre in the game? I mean, it was a very, very, very long time, especially when you look at it, like if you think of the great centres that have played since him, none of them have really, apart from maybe Inglis, but Inglis moved around from different positions, none of them as a pure centre, could you say, was the best in the game for as long as Renoff was, in the last 30 years anyway. Yeah, I... If you had to pick
0: a team of the last thirty years, he is going to be the centre there. Absolutely, the only player that's yeah. going to come up there and challenge him over the last thirty years um, will be Mal Meninga, I
1: guess. Yeah, yeah. Now he's obviously already in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, it's so. Are they your four? They are my four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My four. Look, my four. I and mean, I find it really difficult looking at this list of players. Uh, my four, I, I'd probably go with Badiris because we, we've we talked about how the game almost has eras that you can line up with the best hookers at the time. And I think for quite a long time, Badiris was the player and he handed it off to Cameron Smith and we're currently still in the Cameron Smith era. Um, but I think there's no doubt that, I mean, I had Badiris as the best player in the world for one year there. Um Fantastic, one of the first picked for New South Wales, one of the first picked for Australia, and uh, very good record, very good player, very skillful, tough, good defender. So I had Badiris as one of them. Um, next off the next cap off the rank, Ruben Wickey. Um, yeah. Achieved a lot in Canberra uh, as a centre, which is it's kind of funny to think about that. Then went over to the Warriors, uh, and as a, a forward, was a top forward as well. Played so many test matches for New Zealand. I think he still holds the record. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think, in fact, didn't he hold the world record? He might still. Uh, He did briefly. I think Cameron Smith's got it now. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, Ruben Wickey. And and that's something that you can't look past, I think, is that international record um, of his... Uh, after that, I find it really, really, really difficult. Um, you know, I look at someone like a Greg Alexander, who I think was a a very different footballer when he came along. We've we've kind of described him a little bit like a, a Kalen Ponger. Um, yeah, he was, when he
0: came along, I mean, this is around the time too that we had um, the likes of Scott Gale. Who was doing the little chip, mm-hmm. chip and chase type things, no exciting little things like that. Brandy had that, but he also had great speed and the amazing ability in that time
1: to be able to play fullback and in the halves,
0: which yeah, was, un- it was, it was just
1: unheard of. Exactly, and it, it's something that we take for granted today for a few of the <laughs> most elite players. And he was kind of the first of the those players, and he was—I mean—he's was so far ahead of his time when you think about it, like. When was the next player that come along that could do that sort of stuff as well? Um, and so I would probably lean towards him a little bit. Yep. And then after that, I like it's probably between Renoff and Walters, and I'd probably lean towards Renoff in terms of I'm looking at outstanding talent and I think you could play a clip of Renoff to somebody in 50 years' time and they'd be like, wow, look, this guy's carving them up. Whereas Walters was a different sort of player, like he was never the sort of player that grabbed a team by the scruff in the neck and and forced them to win a game, like say for instance, I think a an Andrew Johns or a Darren Lockyer has done. Um, so I would probably lean towards Ranoff in 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 that sense.
0: That's fair enough. They're um they're pretty good picks. I mean, it, it showed too that. Um, the fact that we doubled up on, uh, Ruben Wiki. Yep. And we both had Renoff pretty, you know, I had runoff in the top five, you had him in your top four. Yeah, Shows that the, the rest of them might be a little bit too far behind. If we could come, essentially with six, six or seven, um, players between the two of us out of all of that. Um, yeah I think it shows that there's a there is a bit of a gap starting to emerge between the absolute elite and the next the next rung down,
1: yeah, yeah, and it's look, I think that for both of us, we could have somebody sit down and and have a, and and try and uh argue against who we've selected and would be able to make a really good argument about it as well. Um, and it, it's difficult. It is very, very difficult. I guess, and, and I guess this is moving into the next sort of phase of this podcast is what should a, a Hall of Fame be about? What is the goal of having a Hall of Fame? And are you looking to give recognition to players that maybe get lost in the history of the game? Or are you looking to select the players that define the game or ones that are generally just the elite talent of their time and their era and who stand up against almost any era. Like, and I think that the what the Rugby League Hall of Fame is supposed to be is maybe different for everyone. And before the podcast, you and me were talking about it, that we're very similar in terms of how we view the history of the game and, and where we believe cutoff points are and things like that between very, very good players and the all-time greats. And yet, I think you and me could write down what we believe the Hall of Fame should be, and it would be two different things. As close as we are in terms of how we look at the game, is.
0: Yeah, I'd, yeah, they wouldn't be. I don't think they'd be too diametrically opposed, but there'd be differences. But mm, yeah. for me, you've you've got to try and find that that unique balance, which is hard to do, between the ability someone had, skill wise, the, I suppose the wow factor that they had when they are on the field, like how many people came to watch them, how often did they get talk- talked about, you know, man and match performance and stuff like that. And then you need also the the sheer volume of, of data, you know, the, the stats that backs up their, their greatness, you know. Um, it's one thing to go and say that, you know, Dave Brown was a, you know, he, he was a good point scorer. But when you see that he scored forty-five points in one game, that's never been matched. You go, okay, he's that far ahead of the field. That's something that needs to be recognised. And so you can use stats to help an argument in that regard. Um, and I think they're important. You need to have the you need to have the numbers to back up uh, you know a case for someone as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get that fine balance between what they did on the field, how they were reported and seen by the community and and the fans, and you know how the how the stats stack up as well. Um, yeah, there's certain things that will get included sometimes, like, you know, did they win premierships, stuff like that. It's, well, winning premierships is important. It would have been, it's hard for a lot of reasons in a lot of different eras. So in the early days of the game, where there was limited tackles, so long as your team was good at holding the ball, you were likely going to win the game. Yeah. And then in the modern day, you've got the salary cap, which evens things out. You've got 10-meter rules. You've got limited tackles. The game is designed to make every single team as evenly
1: matched as possible, which makes it hard to win premierships. So You know what, though? I could also see the argument where the salary cap makes it easier for an elite player to have a chance. Because you imagine being a great player during St. George's Run, where you could I mean, you could have literally played, and it didn't happen, but you could have literally played in 10 grand finals and not won a grand final because you weren't on the right team. Yeah. Um, whereas these days, because we haven't had a back-to-back Premier since the early 90s, it, does that make it easier to be in a team that wins a Premiership? I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, but uh, Paramataphans
0: would argue with you.
1: Yeah, but they're Parramatta fans. I mean, does it really matter? They don't <laughs> matter.
0: They're right, like... They're, How about Raiders fans then?
1: Raiders have plenty of premierships. They can't be complaining about anything.
0: Yeah, but I mean, they've now got <laughs> they've now got kids who are in their mid twenties who've never seen Canberra hold up the trophy.
1: Yeah, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> 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 um. Well, let's look at it this way. In the last, let's go the last 30 years, okay? Who are the best players to have not won a premiership? A a New South Wales Rugby League slash NRL premiership.
0: Okay. Andrew Edinghausen?
1: Yes. Um,
0: The King, Wally Lewis? Has he played? I suppose he probably has. last 30 years, you say? 89, yeah, okay. Yeah, Wally. Um,
1: Drawing a blank for some reason. Gary Jack. And, like, we're starting to name... And apart from ET, like, you, you have to kind of think back to really early 90s. You know, there's not too many players say post two thousand or even just in the NRL era, ninety eight onwards, that you could say were great players, like like properly all time great players that didn't win a premiership. Hi, Marsh? Hindy would probably be up there, yep. Uh,
0: yeah, who else could you see?
1: Mark Coyne. <laughs> Yeah, like and, and yeah, and like it's a very like that's a drop down, <laughs> you know. Mark Coyne was a very good player, but there is a drop between say um, the Renoffs and and you know Inglises and and players down to Mark Coin. It, it's you know the all-time greats in the NRL era, especially they tend to win a premiership like you even look at say for instance Benji Marshall and Robbie Farrer. right now yeah. if they had not won a premiership we would probably look at both of them very 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 differently
0: yeah, I've got and, this theory that I don't think many people um, I think people easily forget that they had won a premiership
1: they they, sort I, of, I,
0: the, the 2005 title just sort of came out of the blue and then it's yeah. just been Fourteen years of constantly finishing ninth, except for two seasons. <laughs> so people don't see him as premiership winners. Just see him, oh yeah, they're the blokes who are always finishing just outside the eight.
1: <laughs> well, you look at so, okay. So say, so, look, let's look at Robbie because I I feel as though Benji between the premiership win, right, and what he did in the the two thousand and eight World Cup and what he's done in, at international level in general, but especially the two thousand and eight World Cup where. You and me both still see International Rugby League as the ultimate marker for what you are as an an elite player. Absolutely. Um, And that 2008 performance by him in the World Cup final stands up against any international performance ever. Um, But Robbie Farrar hasn't had that at international level. He hasn't had that moment, that game, where you could point to and say, Wow, look at the, look at this thing. He he won a World Cup final, you know? Yeah. So say, I think
0: the, so, the problem he's got there though is that who did Benji Marshall, I guess, have to compete with for his position in the in the Kiwi side? And then you look at who Robbie Farah had to compete with for his rep on us. He had Danny baderas and Cameron Smith.
1: One one hundred percent. I agree one hundred percent. Benji
0: had mm-hmm. who were five eighths for New Zealand before Benji Marshall?
1: Oh, who there was there was was what it Robbie great, Paul? What about the great Gene Namu?
0: Oh well, I I feel bad for forgetting that one.
1: Who was the there was, there was a five eight? Then he sort he took over from him. Who was it? Ah, uh, come on. I'm gonna try and find out. Yeah, yeah, maybe look that one up. Ah, uh, who was it? Feel like they were like a fixture. Damn fixture. It. Lance Ohio? Maybe I'm thinking of him. Is this a Robbie Paul? Um. I think it's Lance Ohio I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm.
0: I feel bad for our, uh, our Kiwi friends there. I can't, can't figure
1: it out what we'll before Benji. Kind yeah. of makes my point, though. But that's, yeah, that's the point. It's like you get a Benji come in. But I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is if all Benji Marshall had was what he did at international level, if he had ninth place, ninth place, ninth place his whole club career, and then yeah. at international level he drops that, and it's in a performance that stands at a like a, the test of time, I think he would still have a certain um a, a certain all time great level that you could put on him yep but if but Farah wouldn't have the same luxury, and as you say he's behind some of the all time greats it i mean you know it, it, unfortunately for him he's in an area where badiras takes a and Badiris at the top of his game. Decides that he's going to sit out a a test series, and he lets the young bloke called Cameron Smith take his jersey and never gets it back. Right, so Robbie Farrah a little bit unlucky in that sense. But if he hadn't won a premiership, you would you would be looking at Robbie Farrah differently, I believe. Now, and that's rightly or wrongly. Now, I'm not saying that you need a premiership to be an all time great. I don't believe that at all. But it's interesting in the in the NRL era at least that the elite players do tend to get a premiership.
0: Yeah, unless except for those who play for Balmain. Yeah. That's the crazy thing is that you could probably argue that one of Balmain's most dominant-looking sides in their entire history was one that never won a premiership. And that was that yeah. side from between, you know, 88 to 1990. Yeah. And you had the likes of... um Tim Brasher, Gary Freeman, Steve Roach, Paul and Benny Elias, Wayne Pierce, they're all in there. Mm-hmm. Um, never won premierships.
1: And they it's just... weird because that that was an era in the game where and, and when we were growing up, the the thing was, yeah, you gotta lose one to win one. Yeah. And
0: they just lost two and never got back in. Yeah. So it's 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 a fair point you make. Um, Before that though I I think there's plenty who could have Who deserve Immortality status even But never won a premiership like Ken Irvine
1: 100% Frank
0: Frank Birch is an immortal Never won a premiership Yeah. So it does show That thankfully Being a premiership winner isn't being considered As a certainty A prerequisite for being an immortal Um, Mm -hmm. Because yeah I think some players can just be absolute standouts in a team
1: just that isn't. Definitely. And the thing is, too, and we, we've talked a little bit about this. I need to stop saying that. <laughs> it's what we do. It's a podcast, for Christ's sakes. Um, but it, the marker for the entire season never used to be the premiership. Like The big thing wasn't the premiership. It was always the test series or kangaroo tour. And that's where your legends were made. Whereas these days, I feel as though there's origin and the premiership and it's not as much about test or maybe hasn't been as much about test footy as it should have been. Now, I think that we're seeing some changes to that every so often. And as I said, the the Benji Marshall World Cup game in in 2008, um, Jason Tomalolo's performances for... Uh, Tonga, I definitely think, is something that um, is a throwback to the days where what you did in international football was how you were rated. And I think it gave him a big step up in terms of he was a very good club player, but when he was doing that on the te- in the test arena, it was like, this is something different now. Mm. Um, and it's it's interesting that the marker these days, though, is very different to what it used to be going back further than 30 years, where it was like you weren't an elite player unless you'd done it on the international stage. You just weren't. That's right.
0: So I guess we move on now. I, I wanted to briefly talk about the Immortals. Well, it's not in discussion at the moment. Um, mm. Last year they inducted a few more Immortals, and I put up an idea for a system which I think was smarter and fairer Yeah. where... Two players would be nominated and made an immortal out of every decade. Mm-hmm. And I had a system, all you had to do was play at least one game in, in that decade to get nominated. So if you're a great player, you played from nineteen sixty-five to nineteen seventy-five. If you didn't qualify in sixties in the sixties decade, you could still qualify for the seventies one. Yeah. Simple. Um so this is what I come up with. And I started from nineteen hundred to help make this work. Mm-hmm. So nineteen hundred 1900 to nineteen oh nine, I've got Daly Messenger and Arthur Halloway. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone knows Daly. Most people don't know Arthur Halloway. He's the most successful coach in Premiership history. Um mm-hmm. also great player. Um there's even a, a story about how he, he went to work one day as a butcher, cut off his finger, just wrapped it up in wrapped up the stub in some cloth. And then went and played footy that afternoon for Balmain, I think it was mm-hmm. tough little fella. Um, nineteen ten to nineteen nineteen, Duncan Thompson and Frank Birch. Frank Birch is already an immortal. Duncan Thompson should have been one ages ago. Yeah. Um, nineteen twenty to nineteen twenty nine, Harold Horder and Jimmy Craig. Uh, Jimmy Craig was famously called uh, Mister Versatile. He played nearly every single position on the field. He played in. Queensland and helped them turn around their miserable um, interstate record with New South Wales and then made them the dominant force for nearly a decade.
1: And yeah, and that a... turnaround, was, turnaround was massive too. It was like from just being easy beats to you know, as you say, they they were the ones to beat all of a sudden. Exactly. And he won a premiership in nearly every single season he played in Sydney.
0: Which is incredible. Insane. Um Thirty to thirty-nine. Dave Brown, who's already immortal, and Herb Steinort great forward from from Queensland. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Nineteen forty to forty-nine. Clive Churchill, another immortal, and Duncan Hall, possibly our best-known prop from that era. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, Fifty to fifty-nine. Reg Gasnier and Norm Proven, Yeah, immortals. Sixty to sixty-nine. Langlands and Raper, both immortals. 70-79, Beetson and Thornton, both are mortals. 80-89, Lewis and Meninga, both are mortals. <coughs> so now we get to the bit where we start doing a bit of debate, I guess, and that is 1990-99, I've put down Brad Fittler and Andrew Johns. Would you argue with any of those? I mean, Andrew Johns is immortal anyway, so he's got to stay there. So would you argue with Brad Fittler being there? But no, he's the first player I thought of. 100%. Um... Because the only other ones that would come into that discussion would be Langer, Daly. I guess that's about it, really.
1: Yeah, like Langer, Daly. Um... Sterling would qualify. He'd qualify, huh? Um, yeah, look, I, I can't pick Sterlo ahead of Johns. Um... <laughs> no, Johns is a lock because he's an order, already an Immortal, so
0: they have to stop I mean... the ones that are... Would been amazing, when, isn't it? when did Brett Kenny retire? Oh, good one. I think it might have been ninety-two.
1: Yeah. Um man, you could make a case for Brett Kenny, 93. And it's it's not really his it, it it's kind of not his era, right? Yeah. But he he would qualify. Yeah. And I man, I tell you what. Because I could see where you could do Fittler and Kenny and then in the next decade. I mean, who have you got in the next decade? Well, this is where it gets tricky. So the next decade, 2000
0: to 09, I've got Cameron Smith and Darren Lockyer because from 2010 to 2019, I've got Thurston and Slater. Damn it. See, yeah, and it gets tricky. So um, if you want to move Fittler into the 2000s, you'd have to move you, Smith or Lockyer into the 2010s can yeah. drop one a
1: Thursday or Slater. See, I would be happy enough to move Smith into the twenty tens, right? Yep. And so, I, I look, I could see where you could make, and I'm not saying that this is what I would do, but I could see where you could make an argument where you'd have Kenny and Fittler in the, as for your '90s players, and then have Lockyer and Johns as your two thousands player yep. players. And then you would have Smith and then I would probably have to go Slater as yep. your your Tans players. I I gotta have I've gotta have both of them ahead of Thurston. I I do agree on that. So I was that was a similar deliberation
0: I had it was whether Fitler um should be in there and whether I was missing someone else, I guess.
1: Because there was a lot of great players around that late 80s, early 90s period. Yeah, and look, I think of <laughs> if, if Kenny is an 80s player. like Kenny is just an 80s player, right? Oh, yeah, but I mean, we've got Wally and
0: Mal there, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, I could see where you could, say, have Mal as a 90s player and Kenny as an 80s player. Maybe that gives a little bit more balance to it, I guess. You know, Well, that's the thing, though. The, the decade doesn't have to
0: define the player. It's just a structure I had in place so that yeah, yeah. Um, you're picking two from every decade, but it could be... Yeah. As I said, if you wanted Sterlo in there, but you couldn't fit him in in 80-89 because Wally and Mel's there, you could put yeah. him in the 90s because he still played there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just a way of getting them named, I guess, if that's a loophole. So that was the yeah. idea I had in place, was two every decade. Mm-hmm. And that means that we don't have to have the next discussion until 2029 or 2030. Yeah, and it's just every happens. decade, you anoint, you anoint two more immortals. What if, you it, it
1: what if you made it one per decade? Ooh. That makes it really, really difficult, right? But to me, that maybe makes it th- what it the elite level it should be. <clears throat> I'll ask you this then. Of
0: the thirteen current immortals, yes, who would you drop? I, I would probably so drop. I was going to say to put in like to it. put in the context, you've got, Gazneer, Proven, Langlands, and Raper, who all played around the same time, as well as Arthur Beetson and Bob Fulton.
1: They all played in that period from the the mid to late fifties to the to the mid seventies. Yeah. <clears throat> If I had to drop anyone from the current list of immortals and it is it's based purely on football and I that's how I think it should be it should be about football I would drop Langlands. Okay. And this is I mean like it doesn't matter who I say it doesn't matter yeah. who anyone says of this list you're dropping an all-time great that is unquestionably one of the great players of all time. Like, um, there's no one on the list here that you go, oh, yeah, him. But if I had to drop someone off this list, the one I would probably drop off would be Langlands. For me, it would be Meninga.
0: Wow, really? If I had to drop anyone. Because I think think pretty much, and Proven probably as well. Wow. Um, Because for me, right, I want the Immortals to be not just players who were um they got great records. Yeah. But they were phenomenal with what they did. Yeah. Like there was no one before them that did what they did and there's no ones and it took ages for the rest of the competition to catch up with them. Mm-hmm. You look at the remaining, remaining players there. Clive Churchill broke the mould. Johnny Raper, same. He changed the way Locks played. Reg mm-hmm. Gaznia, he had pace and speed, which a lot of centers didn't possess then. And Back then, all the wingers were massive try-scorers, not the centres. He was a massive try-scoring centre. Mm. Bob Fulton could play centre and in the halves. Um, another one who just an outright... He, he took the game to the professional level before it had even thought it needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Langlands was... Uh, he was a freak of a back. He could play centre, wing, full-back. Massively long career. Great point scorer. Um... I can see where you're coming from there, how you can drop him. But to me, he was he was untouchable for so long in a period where there were plenty of good players around. Mm-hmm. He, just, he was just one of those 1st pick players for a decade. You just had to have him in there.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> um, Wally Lewis. I mean, the bloke was an absolute freak. Arthur Beaton, the same. He changed the way forwards played the game. Not just props, but all forwards. Yep. Um, Andrew Johns, again. Um great defensive half, but the, the attack was obviously more important and he was great at that, but the fact that he could put on massive hits on, on forwards and hit like a second rower, it, it changed the way people looked at halfbacks to the point that now everyone sits there saying, oh, this halfback's crap because he can't tackle. <laughs> Nearly every single halfback in the game's history could not tackle, but ever since Andrew Johns came along it's now become a prerequisite that a halfback must be a good defender as well.
1: Yeah. yeah, or or the other thing is too, they've got to absolutely dominate the entire contest. And exactly. it's like you do you realize you're talking about maybe the one halfback in history that has the ability to do that? You you're lining him up against that. It's it's funny, isn't it?
0: And so that's the thing is it, it's it's like a catalyst. It changes the way people look at the game, and that's what these mm-hmm. players are. Dally Message mm-hmm. was another one. Um Frank Burge. A try scoring forward, it was unheard of. And even for 60, 70 years after him, it was still unheard of. It wasn't until Steve Menzies came along that we got to see the evolution of Frank Burge, which is crazy that it went that long. Yeah. Again, there's been no one since Menzies do that. Yeah. It just shows you how rare a talent he was. Mm -hmm. Dave Brown, the bloke was a point-scoring freak. Just Just
1: an absolute anomaly.
0: He is... He is, when it comes to sheer data, he is Rugby League's Don Bradman.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if he had had a 300-game career or a 400-game career, oh. there is not a person in the game who would ever get near him for points scored in their career. No. So, whereas for me, Norm Proben was undoubtedly a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't make the same argument that he broke the mould and, and revolutionised the role the same way the, the other players did. Same with Mal Meninga. Mel was a big forward, but he also played at the same time as another player out there who could play in the back row and the centres, and that was Gene Miles. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't breaking the mould. There were already players who were playing the game at the same time as him, who were similar style. And he came around the same time. you had Eric Groth, similar build, dynamic ball runner. Same sort of thing. So I don't see Mel as being... Um, one of those dynamic players who changed the role, either, and so that's it's got to the point where if I'm going to look at the models, I'm going to look at the players who who revolutionised the role, and that's why I've been so strong about pushing for Duncan Thompson to be in there because he brought in he brought in plays like run arounds and things like this that just had not been seen before. Block plays yeah. were you know, everyone talks about them nowadays, but um, yeah, little things like that, using decoy runners, intricate things, and it was his teachings. He taught Wayne Bennett some of this stuff. Wayne Bennett uses today. it today. That means yeah. Duncan Thompson's legacy is a hundred years old and still seen in the game today to some small degree. It's just ridiculous, and he's not even in there. So yeah, if I was to make it, I'd be I'd be looking at Proven Meninga. Yeah, um, if I had to if I had to drop anyone, but
1: I'm not saying I would. Though I'm happy with him being there. It's really interesting because. I, I was really happy when they finally put Proven in there. Um, oh, I think it needed, Yeah, I think it needed to happen. And I, like, I kind of look at Proven in a similar sense of Wally Lewis in that sometimes somebody comes along that's a bit of a force of nature in terms of their competitiveness, and they're the one that drives something special along. And I think Proven did that for the Dragons um, during their incredible run. I also think if you look at him, I mean, he was a he was a giant. I mean, compared to the players he was yeah. playing against, he's just, I mean, he was just a giant of men. He Still the, is one really of the, one of the first few giants that we had in the game too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and with Meninga, I mean, yeah. I just he w- he just was the standard for so long for me, and especially as his career matured on, and he changed as a player you know, he filled out more, but he was always, like, he was the standard, and the four kangaroo tools is just, and it'll never be done, never be achieved again, unfortunately, but that was unbelievable, and he was a goal kicker, and he was like, he was just something that, he was just the standard for so long, and that's, to me, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for him to be named an immortal and I thought so, it was, it was worthy of it. That, that's interesting though, because
0: Langlands was the standard for so long as well too, but you're happy to, to omit him.
1: Very, very true. Um, you know, and and how do you, how do yeah. you line one up against the other and say, yeah. you know, Oh yeah, I, I want him in, but I, I could drop him. It, it just, it's a very difficult thing. I, look, I would be happy if there was not another Immortal added to this list for the next 20 or 30 years. I think of the players that have been uh, that are not in this list, I think Duncan Thompson, as you say. Uh, is, in terms of modern-day players, I think that Cameron Smith will be on it. But Absolutely. I would be happy if no one else was added since, for, after that. You know, I even Slater. Um, you know, I just think that that this list should be set in stone for quite some time because I think it does what it was meant to achieve and I, I don't want to see the Immortals concept watered down.
0: No. But in saying that, I think an argument can be made for Lockyer, Smith and Slater in the future. may not be straight away, but I think in the future I can see them as the only three modern-day players who should definitely be strongly considered
1: for immortal status, along with yes. Duncan Thompson from the past as well. I'd, I'd <laughs> agree completely with that. And and I guess I would be willing to – and look, oh, man, I love Darren Lockyer. And I really do. I rate Darren Lockyer with Andrew Johns in terms of his impact on the game. I mean, Darren Lockyer was a better winner than Andrew Johns. Um and, and Slater, I mean, geez, I'd I'd be happy to leave Slater out. I think that you have to draw and, draw a line somewhere. So I, don't I, know. Could, I,
0: like... I I rate him as the the best fullback we've had since Churchill. Man, that's a big call. It is, but um, yeah, I, I you look have and think. I, I just think that pretty much every fullback we had prior to him. When you think about yeah. it, they were ball-runners. Yeah. Slater was the first one to come along since Churchill and, turn the, and he turned the, the, the full-back role into a second five-eighth role as well as still being a full-back. He did change it a bit, didn't he? And you, you've now got Tedesco doing it. You've got, you know, a lot of clubs have got fullbacks who are doing the same sort of thing now where they chime in the back line and play as a, so as a second five-eighth. It's, it now means that... A lot of teams don't have to have a ball carrier or a ball player at six. They can put a you know a, a centre or a second rower there and just have your five eighth at
1: fullback. But the thing is though, would you put Slater ahead of Gartherson?
0: Well Well. Um Wasn't expecting that.
1: No. I don't think anyone was.
0: That's that's very true.
1: Wow. Because Gutherson, like obviously one of Wentworth's greatest ever players,
0: See so this is going to this is going to cause cause me to actually have to throw up a, a counter as well. Okay. Would you put Moses in the head of Lockyer?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Have you seen him play? He <laughs> scored that try at the stadium. Did you see it?
0: There was this, I remember watching a game, I think it might have been one of the first few games that Moses played for Parramatta after he left the Tigers. Yeah. And there was a play went down the short side. And Moses was, I think he was second receiver.
1: Yeah.
0: And he passed the ball on to someone else who then then drew a defender and passed quickly to someone else who did a quick catch and pass, and they scored a try in the corner. Yeah. So Moses was four passes away from the actual try being scored. And yet the commentators raved about the pass he threw, which was just a standard run, run two steps and pass to your right.
1: That sounds like everything that has happened to Mitchell Pierce over the last 10 years.
0: <laughs> <And I started laughs> like, wow. Yeah. That was, that was nuts.
1: It's Look at this great
0: ball here from, from Moses. And I went, no, players throw that all the time, every week. He didn't draw a defender. He didn't do anything. He just grabbed the ball and passed it because he needed That's to. It. That's He's either going to get smashed or passed. That's his job, is to pass. Yeah. Someone else passed, and then someone drew a defender and passed, catch a pass, and then there was a try, and then you went. It was Rad Raja who scored. And he, they were talking about the craziness of Rad Roger beating 95 players and, and running 600 kilometres to score the try. It was all about, oh, Moses passed the ball.
1: That's hilarious. Steady on people. Jesus.
0: There we go. That's our talk of the the Hall of Fame, the Immortals.
1: Um, yeah, that's a good yak. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, and it, it is interesting that everyone's going to have a different opinion on this, and I, none of them are wrong, except if you're a journalist, then you you are wrong. Um, but <laughs> or if
0: you di- or if you disagree with this,
1: yeah, or if you disagree with us in any way, you're wrong yeah we are experts um so yeah it's been a really good discussion i think it's a nice discussion having retro around it's it's great to be able to talk about all of these old players and things like that and their contributions to the game and i mean we rugby league is just absolutely blessed with true legends and, and characters and and elite talent and you've got athletes and you've got skill-based players and you've got powerful players and speed players and big men and small men, and it's just, oh, what a special, special sport.
0: Fantastic. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, we do have an interview coming up. It's, it has been postponed, um, but it is going to be an absolute cracker. We are we're itching to do that one.
1: Yeah, it's uh, going to be good fun.
0: Absolutely. And we've got a live show coming up sometime soon. What day should we do yeah, a live
1: show? Uh, I guess we could do one this week. There's one. Didn't we have one lined up? Oh, you know what we were thinking of was Penrith versus Cronulla. That's right, tomorrow night. Yeah, let's do that. Let's listen to me. Either be pumped up about how Penrith's going to win the premiership now, or just just going off my head, ripping in. It's going to be good either way. Yeah, I'll
0: either I'll either be stirring you up to try and you know get you more fired up after a big win. (laughs) <laughs> or I'll be stirring you up after you've had a loss trying to make you <laughs> start killing stuff.
1: <laughs> we, Jeez, might lose, we, might, we
0: might lose <laughs> another intern.
1: <laughs> Speaking of losing another intern, we need three new interns. Just, I don't want to talk about it.
0: Not again. Yeah. Not again.
1: Yep. Uh,
0: right. Have you got enough towels?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to buy some new ones. All right.
0: I've got some here. I'll send some more up. Excellent. Get them in in bulk now from our supplier. Nice. Yeah. All righty. On that uh, slightly disturbing note, we'll say goodbye. Thanks for listening, people. Bye-bye, everyone.